0: to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, as we continue to make our way through the book of Romans. Paul here in the section that we're in, in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, has primarily been speaking toward his Jewish audience. You might remember from our time together in the book of Romans, the church at Rome is comprised of two major groups, Gentiles and Jews. And you'll remember as we've made our way through, I've reminded you a number of times that one of Paul's major impetuses for writing the book of Romans is to address a prevailing question in the hearts and minds of the Jewish believers in Rome. You remember from the very beginning of this book, Romans, Paul has reminded us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. The Jews understood that indeed this Messiah was their promised Messiah. So they're wondering, how is it? that we have all these incredible blessings from God. You even remember, all the way back to Romans chapter 9, at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, Paul has clearly elucidated the benefits that the nation of Israel have from walking with God, from them being God's covenantal people. And yet, as the Jews of Paul's day surveyed the landscape, they are reminded as they sit in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Rome, that a large number of Gentiles are responding to this gospel message, to this story of redemption, to this message of Jesus. And it appears, and it is indeed the case, that Israel at large, not all of Israel, Paul stands as an example of one of one among many of israelites who have trusted in christ but it appears as though many in the nation of israel are rejecting the lord jesus christ and so paul in this letter is writing to the church at rome to make sure they understand a number of things number one they are all sinners separated from god equally jews and gentiles equally stand as sinners before a holy god Yet equally, God has demonstrated his love through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, that indeed, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to bring all people, both Jews and Gentiles, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is needed? In order for us to have a right relationship with Jesus, both for Jews and for Gentiles, Romans chapter four, faith. Faith is the means through which God places us in a position of righteousness. Well, chapter nine, Paul begins in chapter nine, verse six, in addressing this most important question. Chapter nine, verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. There are promises for the nation of Israel that have yet to be experienced on behalf of the majority. Why? Because the majority themselves have rejected this gospel message. Chapter 10, Paul reminds them that it's not because they didn't know He reminds them it's not because they have not heard. Chapter 11, God has not rejected them. Israel has rejected God. So it bears in mind a question for the Gentile believers. Do they now have a means of boasting? Are they now in a more privileged Position, we might ask. Is there some benefit toward the Gentiles that is not also extended toward the Jews? We understand that this is one church in the city of Rome, comprised of two different peoples Jews and Gentiles. For those of you who've had the joy of being married, you understand to a certain extent what it's like having two different people in the context of a marriage relationship. Do things always go right? Mm -mm. Is there tension? You guys aren't wanting to be honest this morning. Brother Jimmy said no. We know you're perfect, Sonia. <laughs> Paul is writing this book ultimately as well so that there might be a sense of unity in the church of God at Rome and that unity might be centered around the gospel of Christ. And so Paul here in this text, if you'll notice, in chapter 11 beginning in verse 13 he switches from having a very pointed conversation with the nation of Israel. Notice verse 13, how it begins. Now I am speaking to whom? You Gentiles. Paul is now going to spend the rest of chapter 11, it appears, with a major focus on the Gentiles. He's not completely neglecting the Jewish audience. In fact, he's gonna mention them on a number of occasions but he's speaking now to these Jewish, these Gentile believers, that they might understand that their boasting is not apart from Christ. They have absolutely nothing to boast in or to boast about. In other words, everything that we have is because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ himself exclusively, and here, Paul reminds each of us from this text in Romans chapter 11 verses 13 through 16, that believers should live their lives, believers should live their lives in such a way that we maximize Christ's work. Let me say that again. Believers should live their lives in such a way that we maximize Christ's work in our lives in order that we might see others come to faith in Christ. Believers should live their lives in such a way that we maximize Christ's work in our lives. Look how Paul begins to make this case for the Gentile believers there in Rome. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles Inasmuch then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I, my Bible, ESV, translates this next word, I magnify my ministry. Literally, from the text of Scripture, I glorify, I glorify my service. This is the word from which we get an understanding of deacons, I glorify my service. For what purpose? In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. We must maximize Christ's work and not our own this isn't the first place in which Paul would make a defense or glory in his ministry. If you've read the book of 2 Corinthians, the entire letter of the book of 2 Corinthians is Paul making an appeal, given a reason, given an apologetic for his ministry. Paul had come under attack from some of what he labeled super apostles. He had come under attack from some people who were claiming to be sent out by Christ. Uh, Paul is ultimately saying they're not really sent out by Christ, and he's come under this attack, and when he comes under this attack, what does he do? He makes much of his ministry. He talks about how God has used his ministry. Paul is not on stage at the uh, pastor's conference in Corinth, speaking in a boastful manner so that we might know how many missionary journeys he's been on, how many sea miles he's logged, or what size crowds he speak to, he's spoken to, Paul is exclusively boasting in the work of Christ. Paul is clear. For example, in 1 Corinthians, that he desires to know nothing except what? Christ and him crucified. And so it's Paul makes a shift here in this letter to begin speaking directly to the Gentiles, notice what he does. He says, hey guys, I'm one of you. I am an apostle to you. We know initially Paul set out on his missionary journeys. We looked at that last week with an emphasis upon reaching the Jews. But what ends up happening so often in Paul's journeys as he seeks to spread the gospel of Christ around the world. He goes in, spends a little bit of time with the Jews. They reject the message and he goes rightly to the Gentiles. And so he becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who has taken the gospel message to all non-Jewish people. And Paul is saying, hey guys, I'm one of you. Let Let me speak to you on a level playing field, if you will. Let me, let me identify with you so that you might rightly hear what I'm trying to communicate to you in this text. We don't have any reason to boast. Yes, it is true. God in His graciousness indeed is pouring out His Spirit among the Gentiles, and that should be a means of rejoicing both for believing Jews and believing Gentiles. But just as He has said to the Jews, that you can't have a right relationship with God through works. so too is he saying in a similar fashion here toward the Gentiles, be careful that in your boasting, you're boasting exclusively of Christ and not of anything that you've done. For Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, if we could boast in what we've done, in order to obtain a right relationship with God, that would be no salvation at all. That would be no mercy at all. That would be no grace at all from God. But notice what Paul wants them to boast in. Notice what he wants them to glory in. He wants them to glory, as he himself glories, in the service that he has given toward the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, friends, I have ordered my life in such a way that I am maximizing Christ's work in my life. For what purpose, verse 14? So that others might know Christ. So it raises a question for you and me. Have you ordered your life in a similar fashion? Have you ordered your life in such a way that your primary purpose in life is to make much of Jesus? Maybe we could say it this way. If you were to pause for a few moments this morning and reflect on this past week, how much of your time this past week was ordered in such a way so that you might make much of Jesus, so that, that those around you who don't know him might know him? How much time, how much energy do you put into scheduling your day, your hour, your week? your month, so that you can make much of the person of Jesus Christ. We know Paul's heart for the gospel. He's reminded us of that heart of the gospel all the way back from the very beginning. In Romans chapter 1, he reminds us that he is indebted to. He is a debtor to this gospel message. And that indebtedness compels him On this missionary zeal to make much of Jesus. So, Paul is saying, I've structured my life, I've ordered my life in such a way that I am maximizing Christ's work in my life. Can others see that in your life, friend? If we were to journey with you this week to your home, or maybe if we were just to speak with your children for a few moments, can they see mom and dad ordering their life in such a way to make much of Jesus? If I could speak to your co-workers Monday morning, would they tell me, oh yes, yes, I absolutely know she is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the way in which she's serving people at our workforce to make much of Jesus. If I could go to your neighbors this afternoon and knock on their door, would they know that you are a follower of Christ because of the way in which you have ordered Structured your life to make much of Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. I have sought to know nothing more than Christ and Him crucified. And I've done it. Verse 14. Notice what he says. Verse 14. We must live our lives desiring the salvation of others. I've done all of this, the Apostle Paul says. Somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul recognizes that not every person around him will come to faith in Christ. But he structured his life in such a way to make the most of Jesus so that indeed he might see people come to faith in Christ. You might remember these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as Paul made a similar similar statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Verse 23, I do it all. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Whether Paul's traveling, positioned for a matter of weeks or months or years, whatever he's doing, he's doing so that he might intentionally sow the seeds of the gospel. For what purpose? So that some may be saved. Woodlawn, what sacrifices in life are you making? What sacrifices in life are we making? What intentionality Are we using? What methods are we employing so that we might add our voice to that of the voice of the Apostle Paul and saying, Everything I do in life, I do so that I might maximize Christ's work in my life, so that those in my sphere of influence might be. Saved. So the Gentiles, the church at Rome, have nothing to boast about other than to boast in the work of Christ. Friend, not one of us stands in a privileged position as it relates to our relationship with God today. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your upbringing, it doesn't matter your current circumstance doesn't matter where you're currently living, where you're currently working, or where you're planning on going. Not one of those things places any of us in a more privileged position whereby God might look out at us and say, wow, I really desire the salvation of Craig Lindsay. He would be a great blessing to my kingdom. So as we think about our lives, may we, like the Apostle Paul, Make it our aim to glory, to magnify the work of Christ, which calls for you and me as believers to walk in the humility of Christ. For we realize, if it were not for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ourselves would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul says, I maximize every area of my life, verse 14, for a purpose, so that I might save some of my fellow countrymen. Then notice what he moves to next here in verses 15 and 16. Israel's fall and salvation is God's means of global evangelization. Israel's fall and salvation is God's means of global evangelization. Notice what he says in verses 15 and 16. For if their rejection, that is the Jews' rejection, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, of the ethne, of the Gentiles, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And then he gives an illustration to prove his point. Verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. What Paul is urging in this passage of Scripture is for the Gentiles in the church of Rome to show a measure of patience toward their Jewish brothers and sisters as they wrestle with this concept of God's faithfulness toward them. What Paul is doing in this text is compassionately calling the Gentiles and the church at Rome to join him and his passion for seeing the Jews, Paul's countrymen, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, hey, you Gentiles, not only you Gentiles in the church at Rome, but I suspect that the large majority, if not 100% of us seated in this sanctuary this morning are also Gentiles. Do you realize that it is due to the rejection of the Jews that you and I even have the privilege and joy of joining together in this building this morning to worship as redeemed people? Paul is reminding them that in the sovereignty of God, God has used the rejection of the Jews toward Christ to be a means of drawing all non-Jews to faith and hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says, for if their rejection, whose rejection? The Jews' rejection. Has God rejected the nation of Israel at large? Be reminded of what he said in chapter 11 verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people By no means. God has himself not rejected the nation of Israel at large. They have rejected God's means means of salvation through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? This seems to be similar to what Paul was saying back up in verses 11 and 12. Look how he writes it in verses 11 and 12. So I ask, did they, that is the nation of Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? No, that's ridiculous, he says. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentile, how much more will their full inclusion mean? This is what Paul is saying here. Hey Gentiles, you should walk with a measure of humility. Not with pride. Not with boasting. Not by saying, look what God has done for me and look what he's not doing for you. Look how privileged I am and how unprivileged you are. No, you should be reminded Salvation has come to you, because the Jews have rejected it yet in God's divine economy of salvation. there is still hope for the Jews. He's communicated that in verses chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. He communicates that again here in verses 15 and 16. He communicates it again in verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Look how he says here. If their rejection has meant your salvation, how much more of a benefit will their salvation be for the entire world? Paul is making a plea for the, Jew, for the Gentiles to understand God still has a plan for the nation of Israel at large. And that the nation of Israel's salvation at large is a means of blessing for the world at large. It was originally God's plan from the very beginning to draw to himself a people, the nation of Israel. God drew that nation to himself. How did that nation respond to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did they remain faithful? No. The story that highlights the nation of Israel at large told through the story of an individual is that of Jonah. Jonah reminds us of God's ultimate desire to use the nation of Israel to be a means of blessing to all people. So God sends his Israelite, Jonah, to the people. Does Jonah want to go to the people? No. See, Jonah is a sign of judgment against the nation of Israel for the nation of Israel themselves are like the prophet Jonah. They have rejected God's purpose in using them to be a benefit to the world. Yet Jonah gets right with God. When Jonah gets right with God, What benefit does Jonah's rightness, if you will, with God have for the Ninevites? It has salvation. You see it demonstrated in the life of Jonah, but we also hear it communicated. In the words of Christ, as Jesus in His coming has reconstituted, brought Himself yet another people, but this people different from the old people, this people a a group of both Jews and of Gentiles, and Jesus speaks of the incredible blessing that it is for those who claim the name of Christ to live rightly with God. It has incredible benefits and blessings for culture and for the world. Look with me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, you can imagine on this day, There around the Sea of Galilee has called together his his people. He's given to them the Sermon on the Mount. He's clearly articulating for them what it means to live as a citizen of this new kingdom. Notice what he says beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste In the same way, let your light so shine before others. Construct your life, Jesus is saying, in such a way that you magnify Jesus' work in your life. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is what Paul is saying. There is incredible benefit to culture, to life, when people come to a right relationship with Jesus. Notice the hope. That Paul weaves in as he speaks to the Gentiles concerning the Jews. If the lump of dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. In this case, who's the root? the people to whom God first gave a revelation of himself, the Jews. See what he's saying? That root is holy. It yields incredible benefits to the branches. We might understand it in this way. There is an incredible benefit in the context of a family when a father comes to faith in Christ. Why? Because God has ordained a father to lead his home. and When that father leads his home in the measure of righteousness, there's a greater chance of seeing that entire family come to faith in Christ. We might understand it in a larger context. There is a great benefit to culture when that culture, when that society has healthy, Bible-believing, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, spirit-driven congregations. Why? Because those congregations should be taking the gospel and penetrating the lostness. They should be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. They should be the salt of the earth. coming back, or this week while in Branson, I had a number of correspondences between our guys in India. It's been a real joy over the course of the last year just to see God's work. You'll remember, seven years ago, we launched an initiative in two cities, Gunther and kurnool kurnool being one of a handful of of Muslim majority countries, uh, uh, areas in, in India. In other words, the Muslims rule that area. In both cities, a large collection of Muslims. We've been laboring there intently for seven years with four, five, six baptisms you know what God has done through those six baptisms over the course of just this one year? In this one year alone, we have seen more Muslims come to faith in Christ and be baptized in this year alone than what we've seen in the last six years combined. Why? There is a benefit when a collection of believers takes their voice, and with one voice proclaims the beauty and the glory of God in Christ. This is what Paul is saying. There is benefit to your soul, to my soul, when people come to faith in Christ. So how are you? How am I? How are we structuring our lives to maximize Christ's work so that our neighbors, our children, our grandchildren, our community might know Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness that you've extended to us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we stand humbled this morning along with the Gentiles to whom Paul was writing, and this truth that you and your graciousness have have extended to us this gospel narrative, and you've extended this gospel narrative to us for a purpose, so that as we as believers, might structure, might order our lives in such a way that we're continually making the most of Jesus. So Lord, I pray this morning that in the context of this congregation, by your Spirit, Lord, you might cause us to order our lives the way we engage with others, our pursuit of our neighbors, the way we love on our kids, our finances, in such a way that we are making much to do about Jesus. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and respond to the preaching of God's word? Would you begin with just a reflection of your own life today? How is your life structured? Where do you spend the majority of your time? How are you spending the majority of your time? how do you use your resources your talents your gifts your finances for the advancement of the kingdom can it be said of you that your lamp that has been put on a stand so that others might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? Or have you constructed your life in such a way that you've lit, that the lamp has been lit, but you've sought to put a cage over it? Are you living your life with a passion for others to know Christ? Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted in the work of Christ, you've never repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, it's impossible for you to order your life in such a way as to make much of Jesus. You'll only make much of yourself. And in so doing, your life will be led to eternal damnation and destruction. Would you today repent of your sins and trust in Christ? Hear the words of Scripture from Romans chapter 10. Would you call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Would you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from, your, from the dead? Would you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And in so doing, receive new life. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. If you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, as we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. This will be an opportunity for you to come and uh, seek one of us out. We'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Our friends, you don't have to walk down here to see either one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you for there are plenty of Bible-believing, God-honoring people in this congregation that will be glad to share with you how you can trust Christ, or see one of us after the service. Secondly, maybe you would just like for one of us to pray with you, that indeed your life might be centered around the gospel, that indeed you might make much of Jesus, or maybe you'd like for us to pray with you this morning because there is a neighbor There is a child, there is a grandchild, there is a coworker that you know that lives their life separated from God and you've been pursuing them and you want us to pray with you that God might indeed bring about salvation in their hearts. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. As we sing, please come see one of us. Thirdly, maybe God has placed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. As we sing, this would be an opportunity for you to come forward and express to us your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you, may our response be pleasing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.